Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, folks. This podcast is sponsored by italki. And italki offer you a service that could be very, very useful and could make a big difference to your English. With italki, you can find one-to-one lessons with qualified teachers, or you can just pay to have conversations with community tutors, uh, for example, people in the UK who are willing and ready to share their language with you in conversation and help you to improve your English. And uh, this is great. I mean, it's just a really great way to learn English these days or any language. You can uh, have uh, your lessons from the comfort of your own home. It's all adapted to your schedule and your needs. Just imagine your life where you have regular conversations or lessons uh, on Skype. You could do it at home. You could do it in the kitchen. Imagine you're just there in the kitchen with a cup of coffee. Mm, Yum, yum, yum. Talk, 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 talk. Learn, learn, learn. It could be part of your new lifestyle. And remember, when you buy some talking time with italki, they will send you a voucher worth a free lesson just to kind of get you started. That's all because you listen to this podcast. You see, there are, there are a number of advantages to being a listener to Luke's English podcast. And this offer with italki is one of them. To check it out, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. All right, good. Now, let's get started with this new episode. And here's the jingle. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're doing all right, basically, all things considered. I mean, is it too much to expect for you to be doing brilliantly? Is that too much to expect? I think probably on any given day, it's a bit too much to expect you to be doing really, really well. If you are doing really, really well, then congratulations, I'm very happy for you. But I think the best we can expect from any given day really is that we're basically fine. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I'm basically fine. Could be worse. I've had I've had better days, but I'm basically doing all right, all things considered. Good. I'm glad to hear it. And that's all we can really ask for, isn't it, in this crazy world in which we live. This episode of the podcast will include some recommendations and descriptions of British comedy TV shows with some comments about how to use comedy TV shows to learn English. And I often get requests from listeners asking me to recommend some good British telly comedy shows. Telly. That's a kind of British English word for television. Television or telly or TV. TV, I mean, you can still talk about TV, can't you, these days? I know it's, 2000 and, it's 2029. It's not, it's 2018. I know it's 2018 and probably television as we know it is, is not, if, if not dead yet, then it will be dead soon. And instead, we tend to watch our programmes on 
well, on all sorts of different devices, phones, tablets, computers, flat screen TVs. Maybe by the end of the year, we'll just have our our media content projected directly onto onto the back of, of our skulls or straight into the optic nerve somehow. We'll just download it directly into the brain. You, do, you won't even need to watch television shows in the future. You'll, you'll just download it straight in through USB. I don't know where the USB plug will go into your body. It's probably best not to ask, isn't it? Um, some sort of universal plug adapter will be put inserted into your body somehow. A bit like the Matrix, maybe, in the back of the head or another part of the body. Maybe you can choose. Maybe that will be how, how this will work. Um, you'll be able to choose how to download the, the content. And if you're the type of person who likes to have it inserted in, a, in, in this orifice or in that orifice, or if you'd like a special Matrix-style USB plug uh, fitted directly into the back of your head, then we can arrange that too. And it'll be di- downloaded straight in, and it will all just be installed into your brain in a matter of seconds. So, you know, you won't have to spend all that time actually sitting down enjoying yourself while watching the show. Instead, you'll just sort of download it straight in there. Just a, um, a disturbing vision of the future there. Thank goodness we're not there yet. But anyway, what am I saying? I'm going to talk about TV shows. And even though the concept of TV, as we know, is a little bit redundant now, but it doesn't matter. Ultimately, it's just stuff that you can watch, okay? Stuff you can watch. You can probably download it off the internet or get it on DVD or or whatever. And I do often get requests from listeners asking me to recommend some good British TV comedy shows. So that's what you're going to get in this episode. Comments about using comedy TV to improve your English and then some recommendations from me to you of TV shows that you can watch. I love comedy, and I think that we have a lot of great comedy in the UK. The USA is known for its comedy, of course. American comedy shows are very well known. I'm sure that almost all of you are are aware of American shows like Friends, The Simpsons, Big Bang Theory, How I Met Your Mother, and so on. I'm sure you could list lots of shows that you've watched. But Britain also has a long tradition of comedy shows on TV. Thank you very much. Sitcoms, sketch shows, and character-based comedy dramas. There are so many TV comedies from the UK, and many of them are truly loved, I would say, in fact, adored by the British public. Comedy is one of the things about the UK that I'm most proud of, actually. And it's not just Mr Bean, okay? I know that some of you out there, when you think of British TV comedy, you just think, oh, it's Mr. Bean and Monty Python. It's not. There's a lot more to it than that, okay? It's just that you maybe don't know about it, so don't assume it's just Mr. Bean. Hello. Oh, oh, sorry. It's not just that. There's a lot more of, of, of it than that and stuff that's much better than that. In the UK, generally, if you mention Mr. Bean to a lot of Brits, these days, they'll be like, yeah, no, I'm not, I don't really like Mr. Bean. It's not my kind of thing. Like, Mr. Bean's not that popular, really, in the UK. Instead, we have other things that we prefer to watch that I would say, I, I would be fairly confident in saying that an international audience don't know about. And that's why I'm here. That's my job, is to, uh, you know, tell you about the shows that you might not have heard of. Although saying that, I know that many people listening to this podcast are fans of, you know, British things. And so many of you out there might already be very familiar with lots of British comedy telly shows. 
Um, and if that is the case, then I do invite you, as ever, to jump into the comment section. Don't just write a comment there. You have to jump into it first and then write a comment. Uh, so I invite you to leap into the comment section like a like a tiger. Just throw yourself into the comment section like some sort of crazy wolf and leave a comment there explaining which show that you like. I'm going to go through a big list of lots of different shows uh, in probably the second half of this episode, but undoubtedly I will miss one or two shows. And if there's a show that you love from the bottom of your heart that you've watched again and again and that I didn't mention, then that's when you fly into the comments section like a hawk and, um, and write down the name of that show so everyone else can find out about it too. So British and American comedy shows, let me just talk about that a bit. British and American comedy shows are a bit different, I think, in the same ways that British and American culture um, is different. Generally speaking, I find American shows to be slightly more positive in tone. The characters are slightly more attractive and successful often. And perhaps because of the commercial nature of a lot of American TV channels, their comedy can be a bit more, dare I say it, conventional and safe from my point of view. I mean, I get the feeling that the producers of the shows in the States are perhaps conscious that they have to make their... Sometimes when I'm speaking, uh, I'm, I sort of mess up a word... And it throws me off. What happened? Let me start that again. Okay, so, where, okay, here we go. Uh, maybe I've had uh, too many cups of coffee or not enough today. I don't know. Um, uh, so, perhaps because of the commercial nature of a lot of American TV channels, their comedy can be a bit more conventional and safe. I mean, I get the feeling that the producers of the shows are conscious that they have to make their advertisers happy. And as a result, the shows end up having to appeal to a broader audience. And this means that the shows might be slightly less risky, slightly less edgy, and slightly less weird than British comedy shows. Now, that's something I wrote down earlier. I thought, I'll write this down and I'll read it out on the podcast. Now I'm thinking, I bet someone else, someone will disagree with that. Uh, that yeah. Okay, let me explain. So, a lot of the shows I'm going to talk about were created by the BBC. And the thing about the BBC is it's paid for by the license fee. So everyone who owns a television in the UK has to pay the license fee. And that part of that money goes towards the uh, a fund that helps pay for the BBC, you see. So the BBC isn't a commercial organisation, not completely. Um, whereas in the States, most of the stuff you see on American TV... Uh, is is put onto commercial television channels, and those television channels get their money from advertising. And so as a result, the advertisers have quite a lot of power over the, the content that gets broadcast on those channels. So that does affect the output, and it affects the culture. So you might find that American shows have to pander to the advertisers or pander to the people who actually provide the money. And so you, you, you end up with the slightly more conventional stuff, whereas um, the BBC over the years has um, produced content that doesn't have to appeal, doesn't have to make the advertisers happy. And so it can be a bit more weird and a bit more um, unconventional, let's say. Um, 
I mean, I'm you know I'm sure there are weird and unconventional American shows as well, but you know, I'm just generalising here. Um, so British comedy can be complicated for non-Brits to get. I mean, to understand, and it can be an acquired taste, not something that you might immediately appreciate. It's something that takes a little bit of time before you really start to understand and enjoy it. People sometimes say. Oh, British humour, or what is this, British comedy, as a synonym of something that's weird or dark or surreal or complex or cerebral and sometimes unfunny. And I would, I would agree with most of that, except the unfunny part, of course. Uh, I think that some of our shows, not all of them, some of them are weird and a bit dark and surreal, a bit strange, quite complicated, cerebral, fairly intelligent. Although, having said that, there are probably plenty of British shows that are uh, quite light in tone, uh, very normal, um, and not very complicated, quite simple, and a bit dumb. But plenty of shows are, are, are not like that. And I'm very glad that British comedy shows are a bit, often a bit darker, weirder, more surreal, more complex, and dare I say it, more intelligent than some of the average stuff that comes out of uh, of the American market. But let's not get snobbish here, okay? I don't mean to say British comedy is brilliant and American comedy is terrible. I'm not trying to do that, okay? Um, British people do have a tendency to become a bit snobbish when they're talking about American things, have you noticed? And that's not very attractive, is it? I don't want to do that. Uh, ultimately, it's a matter of context, taste and point of view. And I really don't want to get into the British comedy versus American comedy debate here. I've seen that debate uh, taking place in the comment section of YouTube videos on many occasions, and it never ends well. It always ends up with some sort of uh, badly spelled insult and someone uh, writing your um the wrong way, probably your meaning you are spelled Y O U R, and then someone else is writing uh, your meaning the possessive uh, pronoun Y O U apostrophe R E. Ah, the horror. Um, anyway, this is not the comment section of a YouTube video, so we don't need to worry about any of those things. So, my main point then is that this American TV comedy is generally more well known than British TV comedy. And so my job here is to bring to your attention some of the really great programmes that have been made in the UK so that you can enjoy them like I do and use them to learn English. I think if you are into British things, and that includes our humour and our general outlook on life in, in general, generally, I think that I might be able to introduce you to some programmes that you will really enjoy and that will be great content for you to consume as learners of British English. I grew up watching British comedy on TV. Uh, you know, I, I grew up doing lots of other things too, like eating, sleeping, going to school. But uh, I, also, I didn't just grow up watching comedy. Um, if that had been the case, I don't know what kind of person I'd be. F probably fatter than I am since, you know, just watching TV, you don't do any exercise. Anyway, it's just a turn of phrase. I grew up watching British comedy on TV. I watched a lot of comedy shows on television. And for a while, like comedy shows on telly were the highlight of my week 
This is when I was probably 13, 14, 15 years old, that kind of time, before I'd properly developed a personality or, or a life outside just being at home and being at school. So I'd go to school during the day, which, you know, was all right. Uh, you know, I can't, couldn't really get too enthusiastic about school. It was okay. Some of the other kids at school were annoying idiots. Um, it was okay. <sighs> Nothing to write home about. And um, anyway, I'd come home in the evening. And when I was, let's say, 13, there wasn't much else going on in my life beyond eating food, doing homework and playing football and then watching comedy programs on the television. And uh, I actually used to plan my entire life around the comedy shows that were on TV in the evenings. I would get the newspaper, like my parents would get the newspaper delivered. And the only thing in the newspaper that I was interested in was the TV listings. That was it. I mean, you know, I I wasn't the most, um, what's the word for it? I wasn't that kind of precocious as a child. You know, you get some children who, who like reading the whole newspaper, even, you know, when they're 13. Those annoying, intelligent kids who are brilliant at school and they're writing poetry and you know they're eighth grade level at piano by the time they're like you know 11 years old or something don't you hate those kids didn't you hate those kids when you were a child i did uh, i hated kids who were better and better at me better at me no better than me at things and more intelligent than me and who would actually sit down like an adult and read the newspaper i wasn't one of those children I used to just get the newspaper, maybe read some of the football stuff or just look at the pictures and then just straight to the TV listings. And I'd study the TV listings. Let's say it's a Thursday or Friday evening. I'd study the TV listings uh, after I got home from school and I'd plan out my evening. And uh, I'd be like, right, here are the shows that I'm going to watch. I'm going to uh, at at 8pm on whatever, 8pm on BBC Two, it's Top Gear. Not that that was a comedy show. And this is, this is in the, these are the days before Top Gear changed and became all dangerous and uh, irresponsible. In those days, Top Gear was a fairly sensible program about cars. But I used to watch that. And then, you know, it would be like 9pm, uh, there would be Bottom on BBC Two, followed by Red Dwarf, and then um, have I got news for you? And then there'd be like there's some stand-up comedy on TV as well, and you know that sort of thing. I'd I'd study the whole TV listings and map out my whole evening based on the comedy shows that were on TV, and I would invariably end up uh, in the kitchen because my mum and dad would be watching something more serious uh, in the living room, and I'd be in the kitchen maybe with my brother. Although at that point he was probably about 16, so he would have been in his room doing God knows what, uh, just pretending that he didn't live with his family. And I would be in the kitchen eating breakfast cereal and watching comedy on TV. Sometimes the family would all get together. We'd we'd all watch comedy shows together. Um, But um, often I would be the only one watching these things because I was obsessed with TV comedy. And um, so... That was my life, basically, playing football and watching comedy shows on telly. And, I, um, and I've, always, I've, I've always had that sort of enthusiasm. And, and so have so many other people in the UK. We love comedy on TV. I've always been very keen to introduce my students to British comedy 
And time and time again, I have chosen to play clips of shows or whole episodes of shows in my classes. I'm talking about myself as a, an English teacher here now, obviously, not as a kid at school. Although, you know, I could have done that, couldn't I? Could have, in a class, as a kid, just stood up and said, thank you, Mr. Turnbull. Uh, the science lesson is very interesting, but I think we, everyone else will agree when I say we would rather watch an episode of Blackadder what do you think? And then roll a TV in and just press play. I don't think that would have worked. Anyway, I'm talking about me as a teacher now that I've often used comedy shows in my classes. Um, and actually, I found that this is a less effective and less worthwhile uh, teaching method than you might expect. Um, so, yeah, because as a fan of TV comedy. I've I've always thought I know. Like for example, on a Friday afternoon at the language school, I'd be like, I know. I think we'll watch an episode of this show this afternoon, and that'll be great. It'll be a really good way to end the course. And actually, I found that to be less successful and less uh, effective than than I expect. Unless, as a teacher, and unless as a teacher, you you do certain things. Okay, so the less successful thing to do in my experience, is just to play an episode of a show without any preparation to the students. For example, you might say, OK, everyone, it's, it's Friday afternoon. Let's watch a DVD. You turn out the lights, get comfortable. Here we go. You're going to love this. Um, the expectation is that we'll, everyone will laugh, everyone will enjoy it, and learning English will be fun and relaxing on a Friday afternoon. The reality is that nobody understands it. No one laughs. Nobody has fun. And... At least half the class come away from the experience thinking that British comedy is weird and unfunny and that they just wasted their money by going to London in the first place to learn English and that they wish they'd stayed at home and just um, just done something else, basically. Um, so, yes, you understand. The expectation is, oh, this is going to be wonderful and fun. Everyone's going to enjoy it and learn English. The reality is it just confuses everyone. And often people don't find it funny. Now, this is because, of course, understanding and enjoying comedy is one of the more difficult things to do in another language. There are so many things that go into your enjoyment of a bit of TV comedy. Linguistically, you need to understand every detail, every word, every utterance. You need to understand all of it and you need to understand it fast. Often jokes are very subtle and understated especially if it's good comedy. I think good comedies are often quite clever and not totally obvious. You know, some great comedy is obvious, of course, like Charlie Chaplin or Laurel and Hardy, like physical humour or the humour of slapstick. But I really love comedy, which is quite subtle. And I think a lot of British shows rely on this sort of thing. So your English has to be really sharp to pick up on the particular use of language or the way things are suggested rather than obviously stated. Also, you need to understand the cultural context too, like the fact that some British comedy shows present characters and situations that are familiar to most Brits, but which people who aren't familiar with the culture wouldn't really understand. So you need to be linguistically on the ball and culturally on the ball as well. So if your English isn't quite sharp enough and you're not familiar with the cultural context, a comedy show might appear to be unfunny and just weird. 
So as a teacher, I actually find it to be very hard work to use comedy TV shows in class successfully. It often takes a lot of pre-teaching of vocabulary, lots of preparation in terms of getting the students to discuss and consider the ideas, characters or situations in the show, and the chance to see scenes several times, perhaps with a script to help. And in the end, the laughter might get lost. And unless the students are particularly motivated by the idea of enjoying a comedy show, it might just be a better idea to do something more conventional and learner-oriented in a classroom. Um, So I have to admit that I have had some very frustrating experiences in class as a teacher when I've presented something to a group of students, perhaps an episode of a TV programme that I really love, and it hasn't gone down very well. I just end up feeling a bit hurt. Uh, Imagine sharing something that you really love with a group of people and to have them just look at you blankly, or yawn even, you know, when you just see someone yawning, or even the worst thing is when you see a student put their head on the desk. Oh, no, God, no, please don't do that. Don't put your head on the desk. It just looks like you're, you're just ready to give up. Some, I think in some cultures, honestly, if you put your head on the desk, I mean, like, literally your forehead on the desk in some cultures i think that means like i'm working very hard and i'm tired because i'm working hard but in my culture if you just put your forehead on the desk it means i've given up and uh you know i'm i'm thinking of committing suicide so uh you know i'm not saying that every time i've shown a bit of comedy on tv all the students just become suicidal instantly But every now and then you do get those reactions, like someone yawning, someone looking bored, and someone even putting their head on the desk. It's probably because it's difficult. Of course, of course, I know that. Um, um, You know, and also, don't get me wrong, I've had some classes that adored the comedy that I've showed them and asked for more, but not always. Of course, it's all a question of taste, and perhaps my expectations are the problem. I expect and hope that every single person in the class will get it, will we'll get all of the jokes and stuff and enjoy it and, and appreciate it. In reality, only some people will, will get it. And, of course, it's hard to enjoy uh, a comedy show in a classroom context. And really, these things take time. And, as we all know, you know, it's a question of just comprehension and, and English and as I've already stated you're, you're, the English needs to be very good in order to really appreciate it so I've learned that now I've learned it the hard way I don't often use that much comedy in, in class or at least when I do use comedy in class I don't expect that much from f- as a response from the students um, because you know it's difficult when you're learning a language to understand comedy um, you know you need to watch as a student, you know, watching something like that, you need to watch it again and again. Uh, you need to get to know the characters and so on. It takes time to really, really get into a show, to find it funny, and to to develop and to, and to develop a love for it. Repeated viewings and a love for a show are great conditions for learning English from a comedy show, rather than just playing one episode in isolation in a classroom situation. Also, I get downhearted when just one person in the group isn't into it. So I might not notice the students who absolutely loved it just because Juan Pedro over there seems to be a bit bored. 
So perhaps the classroom environment isn't the best situation for using TV comedy, but I'm still convinced that there is a lot of value in using comedy shows to learn English. One thing I do know for sure is this. The best learners of English, in my experience, are the types of people who take the time to get into TV shows and who don't expect simple laughs right at the start. Often, the outstanding learners of English that I have met are the ones who've told me that they've watched entire seasons of black books or that they really loved watching Red Dwarf or The Mighty Boosh. So the outstanding, I don't know if it's a coincidence, but the outstanding students that I've met often have been the sorts of people who might tell me that they watched uh, comedy shows as well as just studying the language. It does happen sometimes. Um, You know, it does happen. I do meet those people. Uh, And here are some facts, okay? All the learners of English who have told me that they regularly watched a British comedy TV show have all been good learners of English. Okay, communicative, good vocab, better understanding and pronunciation than their classmates and showing good potential for making progress through their English course. And I've never met a terrible learner who told me that they watched comedy shows in English. That's interesting. Uh, Whereas the ones who tell uh, the ones who tell me that they watch comedy shows in English are always the better students. Is there a connection? I don't know. I'm not saying that it's watching the shows that makes them better students or if because they're better students, that's why they watch the shows. I don't know which one comes. It's kind of a chicken and egg situation, isn't it? Is it that they're good students because they watch the shows or they watch the shows because they're good students? I don't know. But I all I know is that there is some sort of correlation between the two. The ones who tell me that they watch comedy shows in English are always the better students. That's not the only factor, of course. You can have good students who don't watch comedy shows, but only the ones who watch comedy shows are in the good student category. You understand? Is there a connection? I don't know. There must be something. Maybe the ones who enjoy watching comedy in English are the ones who are just more motivated and less willing to give up or more curious. And these are probably the successful traits for, for a learner of English. Motivation, curiosity, patience, a desire to discover the deeper meaning beyond just learning the language as quickly as possible. And if you have those traits, then I'm sure that you're more likely to be a better learner of English and you're probably more likely to enjoy watching comedy programmes in English too. So I do encourage you to try and get into British comedy, even if it's tricky at the start. See if you can be one of those learners of English who um, is, as part of your curiosity, your patient approach and your general love for the language and culture, um, can get into some good comedy shows. Also, you should realise that there might be more to British comedy than meets the eye. It's not like a lot of American comedy shows, which are as I've said, a bit can be, not are, they can be, a bit superficial. I mean, there's never a lot of tragedy or pain or harsh reality in those shows. Is that fair to say? Friends, for example. It's all, I mean, it's great. It's very well written. Don't get me wrong. I used to watch Friends when it was on. But at the same time, I find Friends to be a bit too colourful. The characters don't seem to ever truly suffer. Their lives are amazing. I mean, even 
even though they're not meant to be amazing, like Rachel is like a bit sad because she doesn't have a brilliant job and she hasn't got a perfect uh, uh, boyfriend or husband or something. But as far as I can tell, her life is amazing. She's got like this incredible apartment that she lives in. She's one of the more attractive people in the world. Um, You know, where is the existential suffering? basically, in Friends. Their apartment is too nice, their lives are too rich, they're ultimately too happy and successful. And I find that, I know it makes me sound like I'm miserable or something, like everyone's too happy and it's not good enough. But I find that that world to be, honestly, a bit harder to relate to and therefore just harder to get into. I need more depth than that. I need more sort of, a bit more darkness, please bit more reality. I don't just want my comedy to be escapism. I want it to allow me to explore more complicated feelings and ideas. And comedy can be challenging, complex and fascinating on many levels. It's not just about colourful escapism, you see. And I think it's possible to laugh at the at the sort of dark things that go on and the, and the weird things about life and the kind of, we can laugh at our fears and our anxieties and stuff too. It's not just escaping to a world where everybody is your friend. Again, I should point out that it's, it's not just a simple case of American comedy is superficial and British comedy is deep. There are plenty of deep, dark and complex American shows too. The Simpsons, for example. I know it's brightly coloured, all the characters are yellow, but at its best, The Simpsons is extremely nuanced and it reflects such a multifaceted view of life, including not just Homer falling over or something, but the highs and lows, the pain and joy of family life in all its richness, even if the characters are all presented in bright yellow colours. So The Simpsons is an example of a show that, an American show that is actually, um, you know, very nuanced and and deep, uh, even though it, it might not appear to be if, you know, if you haven't really seen the show. So what I want to do in this episode is to sell the idea of using comedy for learning English, uh, manage your expectations about British comedy in order to help you learn from it more effectively and also recommend some shows. Uh, That paragraph I just read sounded like it was in the introduction to this episode, but uh, I know that some of you are like, oh, well, the introduction goes on too long. This is not the introduction, okay? This is the main body. In fact, the whole episode is the main body of the episode. Okay, so don't wait for the main content to begin. It's already started. In fact, it started when you pressed play. Okay, good. I'm glad we got that straight. How are you doing? You're okay? You're you're having a nice bus journey or train journey or something? Uh, How's the housework coming along? Yeah, good. Just keep going. Keep going. You're doing a great job. I know you're not getting paid very much for it. You might not be be getting paid anything, in fact. But... um, you know what would the world be without people like you keeping things clean ironing shirts washing things pushing babies around the park um or whatever if you're at work uh, in a job where you're being paid and you're listening to this instead of doing work well you should be ashamed of yourself you really should what are you doing i mean that's if you get caught if you get caught you could you could get fired so just think about that yeah actually you know what? Screw the boss. Who cares about the company? They they don't care about you. You know, you're just working for the man, aren't you, at the end of the day? You are. Just working for the man. You work, you know, however many hours a day you work, struggling to make this deal, to 
sell to these clients, to do this contract, to do this, that and the other. And what thanks do you get at the end of the month? You might get a little, oh, thanks, sir. Thanks for the work on that project, uh, Simon, if your name is Simon. Thanks for, thanks for the work you did on that project. Really well done. Thanks. See you on Monday. That's it. All that stress that you went through. Yeah, so you deserve to listen to Luke's English podcast when you're actually being paid to do something else. Um, okay, back to the episode. So, I, th- I think from the outset, uh, this might be an impossible mission to explain British comedy to an international audience of learners of English and then have them actually go out and watch it and enjoy it and understand it as much as I do. This may be an impossible mission, but I feel compelled to do it. And really, it's up to you to make the mission a success, don't you think? There's only so much I can do. The rest is your responsibility. I could spend all of my time going on and on and on about how useful and and rewarding uh, it is to, you know, use comedy programs as part of your English learning routine. And here are all the shows that you should check out. And, you know, you should make an effort to, to do it and you'll enjoy it, blah, blah. I mean, I could go on about that forever. But this mission will only be a success if, if you actually, uh, you know, um, pull your weight in this situation. You, you, you're going to have to actually... You're the agents here, basically. You're James Bond. I hope that feels good. I've just made you James Bond. I'm basically M, you know, the, the guy or, or lady in the case of... Um, what's her name? Who's the, who's the woman who plays M? Uh, what's her name? What's her name? What's her name? She's a brilliant actress. I think she's brilliant. She's Dame uh, Judy Dench. That's it. James, I'm Dame Judy Dench, or in the old-fashioned uh, James Bond films, some other guys, some like a, a grey-haired man, M. I'm James Bond's boss, and I'm going. Okay, so okay, Bond. Um, here's here's the mission. Now look here, Bond. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, well, actually, you don't have any choice, Bond. Um, this this comes straight from the top, all right? Your mission is to go out there into the field, find some comedy shows, watch them, enjoy them, and learn language from them. And then you're James Bond now. You see, you now have to go out into the field and, ah, uh, so, uh, 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 I've, I've uh, in, you know, you have to go to the shop and actually buy... Uh, I don't know what it would be. Only Fools and Horses on DVD. Yes, uh, I'm looking for Only Fools and Horses on uh, DVD. Do you have it? Season six. Um, that's that's you. That's what you have to do. You have it, okay. You understand. Good. Okay, Bond. Off you go. Off you go. You got you got 24 hours. Okay, so I think from the outset I've said this paragraph. So one advantage that we have here, though, in this mission, is that you. My audience, James Bond, you aren't just ordinary learners of English, because I suppose that you're already into British things and you probably like comedy and you must have a sense of humour if you either A, enjoy this podcast or B, have listened to it for a long time, because this is a no no sense of humour zone as far as I'm concerned. Um, so I'm assuming that y- you're already curious about British comedy or that you already appreciate it or that you're keen to get some recommendations from me about shows that I like. And as James Bond, I'm assuming that you've had training. You've had your training, right? You want to go out there and kill foreign people, don't you? 
That's what James Bond should want to do. Have sex with foreign women and kill foreign men and women sometimes. Um, Equally, as listeners to this podcast, you're well-trained. You're prepared for this mission. You're ready to go out there. Okay, good. Uh, at this point, you're going, okay, um, I think I've, uh, I've understood the mission brief. I think you can just give me the dossier. You know. Um, so, one, one more recommendation for you to consider. Just one more thing. Uh, one more thing for you to consider. I'd like you to think about this. Don't consume British comedy as comedy. Right? Don't think of it as comedy. Hmm. Now, this is reverse psychology here, but it might just work. So don't think of it as comedy, because if you sit down with your DVD or with your uh, downloaded show that you've stolen from a BitTorrenting website, if you sit down ready to watch your show and you expect to laugh all the time, you expect to laugh all the way through, then you might just be disappointed. And we don't want that. That would be mission failed. Instead, think of these shows not as comedy, but instead as tragedy. Hmm. Yeah, so you're sitting down to watch a tragedy. You're not sitting down to watch a comedy. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Bear with me. Just go with it. Okay. So you're watching tragedy or maybe drama or you're watching a study in character, like a character study. It's not comedy. So by removing the emphasis on comedy, you should then be able to focus instead on simply understanding the motivations of the characters, the situations they find themselves in, and how this is all expressed by the things that they say and the ways that they interact. If you understand all those things, especially the motivations and situations of the characters, then you might find it funnier as a result, as like a side effect. Or you might find it more mo- or <laughs> You might find it funnier or more moving as a result. Okay, so think of it as I'm going to sit down and watch a moving drama now. And then you might laugh by surprise rather than going, okay, I'm going to laugh so much now. Let's go. Then, you know, you you can't go anywhere from that position. You can only go towards disappointment, can't you? So start disappointed and then maybe it'll get better. That's what I'm trying to say. Um Think of these shows as pathos, maybe. Uh, Pathos is like comedy, but, you know, in the way that comedy creates laughter, pathos creates sort of sadness or feelings of sympathy. So think of these shows as being more like pathos. Think of each show as a study of some individuals and their lives, which are filled with, in some cases, quiet desperation or hope or frustration or ambition or failure, or contradiction. Think of each show as a personality study, or a soap opera, but don't think of it as a comedy. This doesn't mean that you should expect these shows to be rubbish and sad and boring. No, on the contrary, the shows are not rubbish. They're often very good and very carefully created, even if they are filmed in TV studios with some cheap special effects in some cases, or bland-looking lighting, or set design, Um, that looks a bit dull and possibly with actors that don't look as glamorous as movie stars. Uh, You might not get all the bright colours, the white teeth and good hair that you might see in an American show, but you will see 
really interesting people, very witty bits of dialogue, unexpected moments, awkward social situations with hilarious consequences, some really complex and satisfying characters, and some genuinely classic moments of British TV culture, which have captured our imagination and entered the popular consciousness. But don't consume these shows as comedy, but rather as drama. Often in British TV shows, the comedy comes from the frustration, the embarrassment, the flaws and the failures or the fears of the characters, or the ways that the characters argue and the funny moments of friction between them. British TV comedy characters are like characters in Shakespearean tragedies. I know that sounds like I'm over-egging the pudding a bit. Over, don't over-egg the pudding. Don't put too many eggs in the pudding. Why not? Well, it'll be over-egged. Don't over-egg the pudding. Oh, all right, fine. You know what that means. Don't don't go too far. Don't go don't go over the top. Don't exaggerate too much. I know it sounds like I'm over-egging the pudding by comparing uh, comedy characters to Shakespeare uh, characters in tragedies, uh, but I do really believe that actually the best TV comedy characters have fatal flaws in their personalities. They have specific problems that send them on a narrative arc, which aims at success, but usually ends in tragedy just like in a good Shakespeare play. I'll go into some more detail about that in a moment. But now, before I list the shows I'm going to recommend, oh my God, I've been talking for 43 minutes. How on earth did that happen? Um, Now, here are some tips for how to use shows to improve your English. Okay, just some tips. So you've got your show ready, but what are you going to do to actually help uh, with your English, because ultimately that's what we're looking at here. So you could watch the show with or without subtitles. Mix it up a bit. You could watch it with subtitles in English, and then you can at least see the words and phrases being used. That might be a good idea. Watch it with subtitles in English, and then you know re- repeat the shows. Especially if you like it. If you actually if you enjoyed it, watch it again, but without the subtitles. And this will train you to listen, not just to read. But subtitles helps you see phrases, see language, and make the connection between the uh, oral language and the written language. But then without subtitles is training you to just listen and understand by listening. You could also use a notepad to make a note of what the characters are saying, especially when you notice specific phrases or other features of language. So you're watching a show, and if you just notice certain nice bits of language, you can note them down. Just have the notepad there next to you while you're watching. It doesn't necessarily have to be study time. Just have the notepad there. And when the, when the feeling moves you, you can just... Write down a, write down a word... You don't have to make that sound when you do it, because your, you know, your flatmate might be like, "Why do you? Why are you making that noise with your mouth when you're writing?" So, I, I don't know. It's just Luke told me to do it. You don't have to make the noise when you're writing. Okay, good. Um, so next one is, if there are bits that make you laugh, note them down. Right? Like if you if a certain line makes you laugh or strikes you as funny, write it down. Note down the phrasing, the intonation, the specific words, the the reactions, and also the lines, other lines of dialogue that lead up to that funny moment. If it made you laugh, it obviously meant something to you, and so you'll probably remember it better. You could also check the internet, Google uh, for 
like scripts from these shows because some of these shows have been around for a while. You might find the scripts available on the internet. So you could search for blah, 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 you know, the name of the episode and then script or transcript or something, or at least just write it down from the subtitles and repeat it and try and get the timing right, the intonation right. That could be good. And if it, if you found it personally funny, it probably will stick in your head a bit more. Repeat the funny lines to yourself a few times and try to copy the timing and emphasis. Be aware of where the characters come from and how they speak with an accent. Because sometimes you'll find that characters in these shows speak with specific accents. So it might be worth just, you know, finding out a little bit about the characters um, in order to work out, oh, this person's, you know, from Liverpool, so she's got a Liverpool accent. Or this person's from from the southwest. that's why he speaks like that. Um, turn the spoken word into the written word and then back to the spoken word again. That means uh, things you hear, write them down and then read them out. Okay, so you're going from written to spoken, spoken to written, you see. Record yourself saying some lines. Uh, go the extra mile, you know, push it a little bit further than just... You could just sit back with a cup of tea and just watch the show. But I encourage you to go the extra mile. I mean, just just do something extra can help, like writing it down or repeating or whatever. Maintain your curiosity, okay? Stay curious. Give these shows a chance. It might take a while before you really get it and start finding it funny. But hang in there. It will come. Don't expect too much even though I'm telling you that these shows are wonderful, uh, don't expect them to be wonderful. Hmm? Does that make sense? So, trust me, but not. Uh, but uh, trust me when I say that they're good. But also trust me when I say that you won't think they're good at the beginning. It might take a while. Um, maintain your curiosity. Okay, have a bit of tolerance. For, for the difficulty at the start. When you find a show that you just like, so, you know, honestly, some of the shows, they just you just won't like them. You won't like the people. You won't like the general feel. You give it a chance. But even, it, you know, after you've given it a chance, if, you st- if it still doesn't really appeal to you, you just don't like the world that they inhabit, then fine, don't watch it. But keep searching for looking at different shows until you find one that you like. Okay, and when you find that show that you like, watch it again and again. And you can learn more from watching one show that you like lots of times than from watching lots of shows that you don't like. You see? So just forget the ones that you don't really like. But when you find one that you like, even a little bit, that's the one that you consume like a, like a shark. Because that's obviously the sound that sharks make when they're feeding. Yum, 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 yum. Okay, fine. Um, If you have space on your phone, if you've got any storage space left on your phone, download the shows and watch them when you're on the bus or something. Okay? Uh, And uh, read about the shows online. Often there are summaries of each episode on Wikipedia or on the IMDb you can use those websites to find discussions of the episodes too and also lists of quotes from the episodes or simply episode summaries so that if you didn't really understand what you just saw you can read the summary in English and that might clarify it and also read some lines from that episode too. Um, Now here are some specific shows that I can recommend. 
almost all of these shows feature these themes. Okay, these are typical themes. Most of the shows, by the way, I'm talking about are sitcoms. A sitcom is a situation comedy. That's a comedy show based around uh, someone's life or a situation. You know, um, you know, like Friends is a sitcom. The situation is these six beautiful people live in a beautiful apartment. And uh, they just sort of have different funny episodes in their lives. So that's the situation there in Friends. That's a sitcom. So most of the shows I'm talking to you about here are British sitcoms or situation comedies. And almost all of these shows feature these themes. There's usually one or two main characters. And the character might be stuck in a situation in his or her life. But the characters uh, dream big. They have big hopes and ambitions um, they have big hopes and ambitions and they often think that they're better than the situation that they're in. And in every episode, they try to achieve something, attempting to rise above their everyday life, but frustrating events work against them and they end up staying stuck in that same situation. Basically, they're thwarted by the situation around them, but the biggest cause of their failure is themselves. Perhaps the character's ambition, their lack of self-awareness, or the fact that the character thinks that they're they're better than their situation. These things can cause the character ultimately to fail. Uh, The main problem is that the character doesn't accept his or her situation and is not self-aware and therefore always ends up frustrated despite trying to achieve something bigger. I mean, I'll give you a case in point here. Um, Faulty Towers, which is one of the most famous shows from the UK. Um, It's from the 1970s. Faulty Towers stars John Cleese, who was a member of Monty Python's Flying Circus, as the manager of a hotel. And basically, this character, he hates his life, as far as I can tell. Um, the, the character's name is Basil Fawlty, the manager of the hotel. As far as I can see, he hates his life. He hates being a hotel manager. He's married to uh, a woman who he doesn't really like, who doesn't seem to really like him. It's, when you think about it, it's a pretty tragic situation. And in every episode, he basically fails to manage his hotel. And there's usually some sort of problem. Like, for example, it could be that um, a food inspector is visiting the hotel and... Um, and so Basil struggles to um, get the kitchen prepared for the food inspector, while at the same time uh, there are some visiting guests from America, and he hates them because he's, you know, he's anti-American. Uh, while also there's like a member of the royal family visiting the hotel, and so he's desperate to please the the royal while being rude to the Americans and generally panicking about the food inspector, and everything goes wrong. Uh, and it ends in, in, in disaster in some way. Um, you see, that's a typical thing. And, and the, the point about the character is that he thinks he's better than the situation he's in. He doesn't want to be the manager of a hotel, even though, his, even though he can't escape that situation because of himself, you see, because of his own personality flaws, because he's kind of lazy or he's, he gets angry too easily or... Um, He's frustrated, um, you know, or he's just incompetent. Uh, And so it's basically the story of a guy stuck in a situation and we just watch him struggling and failing. And I mean, that makes it sound like a tragedy, doesn't it? It really does. But, you know, as we know, comedy and tragedy are actually very closely linked. 
And the thing is that when you see these misunderstandings and these problems playing out over the course of an episode, it is often extremely funny. And the guy is um, arrogant and probably not very nice. And so it's something enjoyable about watching this guy um, kind of have basically have a nervous breakdown in almost every episode of the show. So that's just an example of how of a typical British sitcom and um, most of our sitcoms have similar characters who are stuck in some kind of situation in their lives and even though they think they're better than than that and they try to uh, get out of that situation they fail and it's ultimately their own fault so they're their own worst enemy Mm, I don't know what that says about British culture or British people uh, that we are somehow self-defeating. I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting, but it's funny to watch. So what about this list of shows? Well, I'm going to explain the basic synopsis of each show, and I will also try to tell you what kind of English you might hear in the show, as well as any other details I think you should know. I'm going to fly through the list pretty quickly, because honestly, if you just listen to me uh, summarising TV shows, that might not be the most entertaining thing. You can see the list of shows I'm going to talk about on the page for this episode. So you can, at your leisure, uh, go through the list and sort of, you know, choose which ones you're going to investigate and have a look at them. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how many of you are actually going to find or get hold of these shows or even bother watching any of them. I know some of you out there in internet land have access to anything you want through torrenting sites and stuff or on those websites where shows are uploaded. I recommend that you find the shows online, get them on DVD or whatever, you know, however you normally watch programs. You also might be thinking to yourself at this point, well, Luke, do I have to watch any of these shows? I mean, is this compulsory homework? Well, no, of course, you can do whatever you want. And if you'd rather just not bother, like I'm sure a great many of you will do, I mean, you probably will not bother, then go ahead, you know, be my guest. Uh, Don't feel obliged to check out any of these shows. You can just carry on living your lives exactly like before. Uh, You can listen to the podcast on your way to work or when you're doing the ironing or whatever, and that's fine. But I know that quite a lot of you are interested in finding some British TV shows to watch. So here's a list of personal recommendations from me to you. These are all shows I have watched and enjoyed in no particular order. They're also famous British shows which aren't just popular with me but are popular with uh, many people from the UK. Okay, So by the way, all of these could and should be individual episodes of the podcast in their own right. I mean, I could do individual episodes about all of these shows in which we listen to some clips and stuff. And I might do that in the future. Okay. Uh, but uh, let's get started. So I'm going to start by mentioning The Office. So The Office, there's a British version and an American version. The British version came first. It was created by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. And The Office is basically a reality-style sitcom. I say it's reality-style because the style of it is that it's filmed as if it's a documentary or a sort of mockumentary. It's filmed like a documentary as if the characters are all real. Uh, but in fact, it's a, it's a sitcom that was scripted. So the, the, the description here is, this is basically a tragedy set in an office. And it's also a romance of sorts. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a job in an office that you hated. Imagine this situation, uh, as long as it's not too painful. Imagine this situation. You have moved to England and, yeah, I know. 
it, no, it's it's all right. It's it's uh, it's good. The, I know the weather's not that good or the food, but uh, uh, people are quite nice, and there's some good TV. Anyway, um, so you've moved to England, and no, I'm, af- I'm afraid you won't be moving to London or any of the other major cities. No, instead, you're going to be moving to just some crap town that's not particularly special or interesting. Just some rather dull town. That's where you're going to be living. And yes, you're going to be working in an office in that town with the uh, with the English team. And so you go there and... The fact is, the office is really dull. I mean, it's like everything's grey. It's just photocopiers and desks and grey carpet. And uh, everyone seems a bit miserable, like they don't really want to be there. And ultimately, this is a, this is a company that sells paper. So how exciting can it get? This show, The Office, is basically a window into uh, daily office life in that workplace. And... If it sounds tragic, well, it sort of is, but it's also very funny if you give it a chance. So it's a tragedy set in an office. It's also a romance, kind of. There are two types of character in the office. There are the ones who are sort of trapped in hell, trapped in this situation, uh, and they realise that they're trapped in hell, and they want to escape, but they can't. And then there are the characters who don't realise that they're trapped in hell. Um, okay. The hell in this case is an office in a town called Slough in southwest England. Uh, perhaps it's, it's hell within hell because it's bad enough being in Slough, but working in an office in Slough is probably even worse. So the thing about the office is that it's very realistic. It's a kind of fly on the wall drama. You can imagine that you're a fly on the wall just observing life in this office. The cameramen are trying not to be true, too intrusive. So you don't get like really close up shots sometimes. Uh, you know, it's handheld camera without being too intrusive. It's like we're just observing life in this office. And as a result, it's not always completely clear what is being said. I can understand every single word, but you might find it a little difficult to understand everything. Characters might mumble sometimes, and because of the naturalistic dialogue, their sentences aren't always complete. You know, that's just the style. But this is good because this is how people actually speak. The laughs are not obviously signalled. The comedy moments are not obvious. There's no laughter track. You know, in some comedy shows, there's an audience that laughs. And so you know when something funny has happened. Well, in this show, there's no audience laughing. So it's not always clear when something funny has happened or when something sad has happened, which is a strength because that shows that it's, there's depth to this this program. You know, like in real life, sometimes things you know happen that are hilarious but sort of sad at the same time and so it's kind of complicated so the show might look like just a depressing office and and this is the point because this is a comedy show about that experience um that's what this is about remember it's tragedy most of the characters are from the south and they don't have very strong accents except a couple of characters who have accents from the southwest um and yeah, Ricky Gervais is in this show. This is the show that launched Ricky Gervais's career. And his character, David Brent, is brilliant. He's kind of a horrible boss. He's, he, David, um, Ricky Gervais plays this character who is a boss who, who, instead of being a really great manager, he just uses his position as a chance to 
he he thinks that he is really popular and entertaining. He would rather be liked by everyone than be a good boss. So he's always trying to entertain everyone and he, he mistakes the authority he has as the boss. He mistakes that for having their respect or having their attention. So like, for example, company meetings where he has to talk to the whole company, he ends up turning it into some sort of really bad like comedy performance and everyone just finds it embarrassing. He doesn't realise, he thinks he's hilarious, but he just it's just that he's he's the boss and that's why they have to listen to him. So it's very awkward comedy, but it's brilliant. I mean, all of us watching that show and the reason why this show became so successful is because it perfectly captured the kind of awkwardness and hilariously um, terrible moments, real moments that we've all experienced in like crap jobs that we don't want to be part of. So it's, I know that sounds depressing, but it's, it's just realistic more than depressing. It's not completely depressing. You have to watch the entire thing. You have to watch ep- uh, series one and series two and the Christmas special. You must watch the Christmas special as well. You've got to watch it from start to finish because the, by the end of the Christmas special, um, it actually gets very emotional and very touching and quite romantic as well. So I, you know, if you can stand it, I would suggest that you watch all of it from start to finish. Next show is called I'm Alan Partridge. I can, it's, it's, I've mentioned Alan Partridge a couple of times on this podcast. Alan Partridge. It's, it's really hard for me to, to, to explain how this is great. Uh, I think it might be very difficult for learners of English to really understand. But I think if you, if you can, it's a bit like Withnail and I, in the sense that it's a bit of a cult thing. I say that, but actually, in the UK, Alan Partridge is widely regarded as one of the greatest comedy characters that we've ever had on television. Um, he started in the 90s and is still going. And basically, Alan Partridge is a man who thinks that he's an A-grade television broadcaster but actually he's a degrade broadcaster so he's not a real person he's just a character played by an actor called steve coogan who is also in the trip so he thinks he's a, a top level broadcaster but in actual fact he's more like a d level broadcaster but it's so much more than that it's more than just a parody of a um a television celebrity it's more than that I mean, it did start as a parody of the way that TV broadcasters speak. You know, like the way that um, sports reporters might speak. And you join us now here at the uh, sports desk for a great weekend of sport. You know, the way that TV sport uh, commentators speak. This character started as a parody of that. But it has become much more. It's become a parody of a certain type of middle-aged British man. The kind of man who reads the Daily Express and votes for Brexit. The kind of man who might talk in a very confident way, but under the surface, there are all sorts of character flaws and insecurities and dark problems and things that he never actually admits to, but which are bubbling under the surface. So, you know, on the front, you've got a a character who speaks very confidently, someone who thinks they deserve to be on BBC One on prime time on Saturday evening. But when you actually meet that person in the in the real world, it turns out that there are all sorts of nuanced, complex and rather sad and touching uh, uh, complexities behind this surface. 
Um, I mean, it's very hard to explain the appeal of Alan Partridge, but I think he's probably the character that I like the most, even though as a person, he's he's awful. He's a sort of egotistical, uh, nihilistic uh, person. But there's something incredibly captivating and funny and sad and wonderful and uh, and tragic. And I don't know. It's, it's very hard to explain. Um, I need to do a whole episode about Alan Partridge, and I've been planning it for a while. You need to understand that Alan is someone who speaks like a local radio presenter in ordinary life, and it shows how sort of alienated he is from normal people. He talks to the public on the radio, but in real life, he's sort of hopeless, but he doesn't realise he is. His accent is a bit like a parody of a sports reporter or a radio presenter. Uh, this is a complex character, and he doesn't realise how ridiculous he is. And we're usually we're laughing at him. We're not laughing with him. Um, Alan Partridge. Next one is Father Ted, um, which is a sitcom from the 90s. Actually, Father Ted is, is not British. It's Irish. So I should point that out. It's not a British show. It's actually an Irish show. Uh, but it's loved by uh, British people. It's been on British TV, you know, for years. It was in the 1990s, mainly. And uh, in the UK, we love Father Ted, even though it is an Irish show. So um, basically, Father Ted is a sitcom about a priest in Ireland, okay? So there's a priest called Ted, Catholic priest, who actually lives on an island off Ireland, so it's like a tiny little island with like a few priests living on the island. And this is a, a remote island off the Republic of Ireland somewhere. And so it's all based around this tiny little community. And Ted is this priest. And the thing is that he actually, I don't think he wants to be a priest, actually. I don't think he even believes in God. I don't really understand how he ended up being a priest. I think it's sort of a mistake in his life. But he's stuck on this island, living in this uh, house with these other priests and he kind of hates his life and he's very frustrated but i mean but there's that sounds again very dark but there's so much so many wonderful things about this show uh the comedy's so funny and the characters are so lovely and sympathetic and frustrating and hilarious uh the it's pathos really when you think about it it's kind of a slightly tragic uh, story. So the pathos is this is a man um, who is stuck in the priesthood with a drunkard. So the other priest he lives with is just a complete alcoholic, and the other priest is an idiot uh, living on an island off island, and he dreams of having a much more glamorous life. Not a British show. It's from the. It's it's Irish, and the accents that you will hear are from the Republic of Ireland. And Irish accents are just gorgeous. I mean, the the accents in this show are absolutely gorgeous. Um, And if you're not aware of what Irish accents sound like, you really should watch Father Ted because Irish English is just uh, beautiful. I think everyone agrees that an Irish accent is a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And Father Ted is a good way to enjoy listening to uh, Irish accents. Um, the next show I'm going to mention is Blackadder. Uh, Blackadder is a historical sitcom or a satire from the 1980s and the 1990s. Essentially, Blackadder is about a guy called Edmund Blackadder. And um, each series of the show is set at, in a different period of English history. 
So uh, the first series is set in the medieval period. Second series is set during the... Um, when is the second series? It's, I think it's the Elizabethan period. The Tudor period with uh, Queen Elizabeth I. The third series, I think, is set during the Regency era with uh, the Prince Regent. And the fourth series is set during the First World War in the trenches in France, uh, although the characters are British. So um, in each series, you get the same character, Edmund Blackadder. So I think it's basically um, each series is like his um, his ancestor, you know, in each series. The idea is that, you know, the the same character, but probably like the great, great, great grandchild of the previous one or something. And... Um, Edmund is stuck in in history in a sense uh, because he acts kind of like a modern person with the kind of cynical outlook on life, a modern sensibility, modern sense of humour, modern kind of common sense. But all the characters around him are basically idiots from history. And it's essentially Blackadder is great because it's making fun of, of history. Um, Edmund Blackadder is essentially a modern-minded man stuck in the idiocy of British history. And Blackadder features some of the UK's most favourite actors and comedians, including Rowan Atkinson, who is also known as Mr Bean. Now, it seems the international community knows Rowan Atkinson as Mr Bean, but in the UK, we love Rowan Atkinson because of Blackadder. Also, other people in this show are Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, Hugh Laurie, you might know from the TV show House. He's the the actor who plays Doctor House. He's British. He's a British ninja. You don't, you might not realise he's British because of House, but he's actually British. Uh, Stephen Fry, you probably know. Usually, the English that you'll, you'll hear in Blackadder is quite old-fashioned. Uh, you'll hear some parodies of old English styles. And plenty of sarcasm. I mean, there are some really great examples of sarcastic insults in this show. And although the style of English is a bit old-fashioned, because it's set, you know, in these periods of, of history, the characters do speak pretty clearly, and they speak in received pronunciation. Um, I love Blackadder wholeheartedly, and I think that, you know, I really recommend it. It's great. But don't watch series one of Blackadder. Avoid series one. Um, because series one is just not very good. They, they don't know why, but it, it became good from series two onwards. So series two, three and four are all excellent. Uh, don't watch series one. Okay. Um, the next one I'm going to mention is called Bottom. Um, if you heard the episode uh, I did with my brother and my dad about Star Wars, you heard us talking about an actor called Aid Edmondson. He's one of the actors from this show. Bottom is basically is a sitcom made in the 1990s starring Adrian Edmondson and Rick Mail as two sad gits. I mean, they're just pathetic characters who live in a r- dirty old flat in Hammersmith in West London and they are single and they're pathetic and they are disgusting and they're stuck in this flat with each other and they regularly fight and argue and I mean it's hard to explain what they actually do I mean there's Rick Mail's character who's called uh Richie Richard Richard that's his name um basically he's just this pathetic child in a man's body 
who I think is probably a virgin. I don't I don't think he's ever had sex. Uh, he, but he's obsessed with with sex, and all he wants to do is have sex. But when he when he actually gets the opportunity to do it, he's far too nervous and clueless to to actually be able to do anything. Um, and then uh, Aid Edmondson's character is called Eddie Hitler. I don't know why. And basically, Eddie just is lazy and he he's drunk most of the time. And in the show, you just see the situations that they get stuck in, these ridiculous situations. And there is, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of sarcasm, a lot of, um, and a lot of violence, like very funny comedy violence and slapstick where they end up fighting with each other. And, and the two guys, the two actors were brilliant at doing comedy fighting where they beat each other up and it's all kind of comic book violence and lots of fun. But, from a more serious point of view, you could see this as being a sort of existential drama about these two lost people. It's a bit like Samuel Beckett or something like that. The characters speak with basically received pronunciation and a bit of London accent. Often the characters adopt a kind of high-class high English accent in contrast to the low-class situation that they live in. The next one is Monty Python's Flying Circus. So, by the way, the previous one was called Bottom, all right? Don't forget, you can see the list of all these shows on the page for this episode if you want to check them out. I'm going to go a bit quicker now. Monty Python's Flying Circus. I don't think I need to say anything else. I did a whole episode about Monty Python's Flying Circus, maybe two episodes about them. Uh, A comedy group who did sketches on television in the 1960s and the 1970s. Uh, They uh, were all graduates of Oxford or Cambridge University, And they made fun of absolutely everything, including history, comedy cliches, and in fact, existence itself. So highly educated Oxbridge graduates making fun of absolutely everything. And it's, you know, you can see the spirit of the 60s and 70s, the kind of crazy, postmodern, wacky stuff. George Harrison, one of the Beatles, George Harrison, once said that when the Beatles split up at the end of the 60s, that the spirit of the Beatles passed into uh, Monty Python. And there's something true in that, because the Pythons had something special about them. Not every sketch that they did is great, but a lot of them are brilliant classic sketches, uh, which are definitely part of the kind of popular consciousness. It's probably best, my advice is probably, to watch the Monty Python films, Uh, One of them is called Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and the other film is called Monty Python's Life of Brian. Uh, I recommend those. Also, what you could do is just go onto YouTube and search for Monty Python's Flying Circus, and you'll find their YouTube channel and a lot of their sketches. A lot of the best sketches have been uploaded onto YouTube. Okay, next show is called Spaced. Spaced. I played a clip from Spaced in the episode uh, with James and Dad about Star Wars. Spaced is one of my all-time shows, well, all-time favourite shows. It's a sitcom from the late 1990s and the early 2000s. Essentially, it's about two people in their 20s, so uh, a male character and a female character in their 20s. They end up living together in an apartment, and they're just it's just about them sort of trying to get through their lives, you know, uh, trying to find work, uh, the issues they have with their friends and their relationships and things like that. So, you know, it's just like looking at two uh, people in their ni- in their 20s 
Um, one of them is a uh, one of them is um, like a graphic designer. Uh, the other one is uh, would the other one would like to be a writer and journalist, but she is she struggles to to get her career off the ground. That doesn't sound very interesting, but the cool thing about Spaced is that the entire show is filmed, even though it's a TV show, it's filmed with the sensibility of Hollywood films, Hollywood movies. So all the cliches of Hollywood movies are included in this program. And that includes the direct, the, the directing style, the way the camera moves, and also things like certain set pieces of action in episodes. And the fact that all of these Hollywood tropes and Hollywood cliches uh, are in the show. It really is an expression of the fact that the, these characters are kind of lost in their own imaginations. They're kind of they've they've probably grown up watching too many movies, watching too much TV, and now they they interpret everything that happens in their lives as if it's part of a film or something. It's kind of quite existential and sad in that way. And I, I personally relate to that a lot because I feel that that's true for my generation, that we did grow up um, watching a lot of TV. And I mean, it didn't infect our brains or anything or make our brains all soft, but it kind of has meant that we interpret a lot of the things that happen to us within the context of TV shows. Like, for example, the the, the, the sort of mythical drama of Star Wars ends up becoming very significant in your life in the sense that, you know, uh, uh, like maybe your relationship with your boss feels a bit like you're battling with Darth Vader or something. Um, it's, it's brilliant. It's directed by Edgar Wright, who is now a Hollywood director. He did Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and uh, The World's End. And also he did um, Scott Pilgrim versus The World. And he did Baby Driver as well uh, recently. Uh, uh, Edgar Wright is a brilliant director. And also it was written by Simon Pegg uh, and Jessica Stevenson, who's now called Jessica Hines. Uh, Simon Pegg, you might know. He's also been in show, films like Mission Impossible and Star Trek and stuff. Uh, Spaced. You've got to check it out. It's brilliant. Um, I'm going to keep going for, let's see, a few more. I probably what I'll do is I'll I'll hmm, I'm going to do two more, three more, three more shows, and then the rest of this will be in the bonus part, uh, bonus audio in the app. Okay, all right. So the next show is uh, called the Day Today, the Day Today, and this is a news parody and satire from the mid nineties. Um, and the thing about the Day Today is that it's presented to you, the audience, as if it's a news programme. It looks exactly like the news from the 1990s. It looks like the BBC News, but it's not. It's a, it's a parody of the news. But the thing is about it, it's such a good parody. Everything about it is so similar, but just exaggerated a little bit. Um, and the way that it's exaggerated, it makes it kind of surreal and bizarre and almost a little bit disturbing. So... Um, for example, the way that the newsreaders speak um, is really familiar to us. The way that the graphics are done, the way that the reports are edited, uh, the way that they cover sport, all of it is such a good, clever parody. 
but at the same time, really, really funny comedy because the stories that they cover are ridiculous and bizarre and uh, it's just excellent. The other, um, the, 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 the people who created the day-to-day have gone on to do some really great other work too. Those people include uh, Chris Morris, uh, Armando Iannucci, and a number of other people. Uh, Alan Partridge, who I mentioned earlier, first appeared in the day-to-day. He was the sports correspondent on the day-to-day. And that was um, what launched Alan Partridge as a, as a character. Um, after doing the day-to-day, the same team went on to produce uh, Brass Eye, which is almost exactly exactly like the day-to-day, but just even more controversial. And they, they chose to do really controversial things while also basically making fun of television in a very clever and very um, subversive way. The last show I'm going to mention here before moving on to the bonus audio in the Luke's English podcast app is called Only Fools and Horses. Only Fools and Horses. This is a sitcom from the 1980s and 1990s. And this is one of the most popular comedy shows ever to have appeared on British television. Essentially, it's the story of two brothers, two orphans. Uh, so two brothers with no parents. They, they lost their parents. I, I don't know how. I think their parents were killed or something like that. But these two orphan brothers who come from a working class background in the east of London. And they basically just try to make ends meet. They just try to get by. Uh, uh, one of them is called Del Boy. And the thing is about Del Boy, he's, he's a market trader. You know, it's one of these guys who goes down to the market on a Saturday or a Wednesday afternoon or something to sell things. And so Del Boy's a bit of a dodgy guy. He's a bit of a wheeler dealer. You know what I mean? He's like a little bit untrustworthy. The sort of person who might um, come into possession of some things and sell them perhaps slightly illegally in the market. But such a uh, great character, cheeky and... um, uh, and clever, streetwise, but completely stupid at the same time. That's Del Boy. And his brother, Rodney, is kind of much taller than Del Boy and like really stupid and quite slow. And the two of them just, you know, basically, it's the story of them trying to just get by um, in their lives. And Rodney ends up becoming sort of middle class when he falls in love with a middle class girl. But he's still working class at heart. It's basically kind of like a a very funny um, look at uh, these two working class brothers in the East End of London and the kind of crazy funny things that happen to them in their lives. There are loads and loads of other shows I want to talk to you about. I'm going to stop here. But those of you who've downloaded the Luke's English podcast app, you will find bonus audio for this episode. Um, If you're listening in the app, you'll see a little little icons um, like a share icon, a download icon, a favorite icon, and a little gift box. If you click the gift box in the app, that's where you find the audio and you'll find uh, some more recommendations of comedy shows. Um, so if you haven't downloaded the Luke's English podcast app on your smartphone, uh, why don't you do it? It's free, completely free, and it's just a chance for me to provide you with more content um, in you know, in a slightly more flexible way. For example, if I feel like an episode has gone on too long, I can just sort of stick the rest of it into the bonus parts of the app, um, which is quite nice, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, good. Luke's English Podcast app, available from the App Store. 
you can get it now free. Um, all right. Thanks for listening. And uh, don't forget to join the mailing list on the website. I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. Let me just remind you that if I haven't mentioned any of the shows that uh, you you like, any British comedy shows that you like, stick them in the comments section on the website. I might mention them in the bonus audio, but stick uh, go into the comment. As I said, leap into the comment section and uh, uh, write your own recommendations of good British comedy shows too. Okay? All right. Thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.